From the Over the Top Studios in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas, and wow, what a show have we got tonight. Michael Conti's joining us with the superstar of August 25th weekend, Andrew Danley, who just crushed it out at the Hoodoo 300. Andrew, Michael, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks. Thank you, George. It's always a pleasure. Now, the Hoodoo 300, what was it that made you want to get in and race this thing solo, Andrew? Uh, peer pressure. I'm so tired of being uh, uh, bludgeoned by my friends because all I do is ride doubles on the weekends. And uh, we, originally we were supposed to do a four-man, 500-mile race. But as you know, Michael Conti kind of killed Ram and just wasn't really to come back and race yet. And Adam Bickett, who would have been also on the team, just wasn't really working out. So these guys just said, you know what, come out and race the 300 and we'll crew for you, which is like, I'm sure we'll get into it during this period. That is an incredible offer that ended up being a hilariously rich and very professionally run event with lots of insults rolled at me for 310 miles. Well, and with an exhausted Michael and an out-of-shape Adam, you would have ridden 300 miles on a four-man team anyway, right, Andrew? But I'm sort of used to pulling the... Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, when we won Ram 2012, I don't think Adam Bickett did any polls. It was pretty much just me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, Michael, what was it like for you? I mean, you really uh, spoke so highly of your crew at Ram. It was so fun checking in with you daily during the race. Uh, but then to turn around and go from racer into crewing for someone. Yeah, you know, crewing is harder than racing, I think. It's, uh, it's intense and it's pressure-filled and you don't want to screw up for the rider because you, know, you still want them you want, you want them to have the best race. So to me, it seems more pressure. And you know, I've crewed for Bickett many a times um, and actually in the 300 back in 2016. So uh, when he set the record then. Um, I like crewing. To me, it's kind of fun just getting all the little things put together and make sure the van set up and cameras and drone work to me that that's it's as much fun as as racing now andrew was that a little backhanded stab from michael telling you that crewing was harder than riding no not at all i think he really believes that because in in some ways i know i was talking to him on ram every day is as a rider you feel it's such a pleasure to be able to just focus on your craft and not worry about, he had an excellent bike mechanic, he had a wonderful supportive crew, and the crew's back there sweating every minute, where us as racers, if we're putting the watts into the pedals, people are handing us food and doing things for us that really makes ultra with a crew. So, no, he's got plenty of backhanded compliments for me, but that wasn't one of them. (laughs) Now, I love what you guys do, because you're so serious when you're racing, yet you're more than willing to turn around and help each other out as crew, and a lot of times that's really hard to find people to crew for you, but, I mean, it's almost like you're a built-in team. You know, I'm glad you noticed that, George. That's really a finer point because we have fun the whole time. We're laughing, we're screaming and having a good time. But in the, you know, sort of the undertext there is we're all very serious about going absolutely as fast as we can. And, like, nobody is going to overlook any detail and, you know, as you know, Adam Bickett has the 300-course record, and I told those guys, look, I don't want to race that because he's my teammate, and I don't, I don't want to take the record. And then it's a different course, so he still has the course record on the course that he did, and I got the one on the one that I did. And I think that that 
that's part of the fun. Like if you're going to go sailing, go with like three people that are really good at trimming sails and like just you get into it and you want to go higher and higher and there's a little internal agreement that everybody's going to do everything they can. And that certainly makes the race more enjoyable knowing that everybody's firing on, on all cylinders because some people do volunteer for crew that are, you know, just looking to look at trees and stuff. And it's happened. There's nothing wrong with that. But we've all had those crew members that are kind of like, wow, I think maybe next time we'll, you know, pick somebody else, you know. And to have two guys that had finished solo ram who can see any problems I'm having, you know, 20 miles off, but they're so talented and so able that at the same time they're flying two drones around and screwing around and hurling insults at me. It just was a really really fun experience and michael you've won raw you just finished ram you won hoodoo last year the 500 uh and you come in you're crewing with adam i love what andrew was just saying i mean and again you're still having fun but you're having fun when you're working for andrew as well aren't you yeah for sure i mean it was uh he's never done 300 solo so it was a new new venture for him and and he listened to us for the most part you know sometimes he wasn't drinking and i remember one time i had a bottle coming in my pocket and he's coming up hey i need a bottle and it's there for him you know and it's kind of nice having bickett and i we've we've got some experience and and then it's just learning what the rider's going to need and when he was you know not his stomach might have been upset hey let's try this boom his stomach's fine he's like wow that worked you know so he he really didn't have to guess and he can just ride and he rode hard it was definitely a treat crewing for him and being behind him and watching what he was doing because we weren't you know we were giving him some updates and but he just likes to be left alone and and just put the hammer down it was it was pretty awesome to watch with i mean 300 miles and you had six minutes of total stop time and it was impressive for its first 300 now andrew what were your goals when you came in well I did a lot of training rides um, at around 240 miles with about 17,000 feet of climbing and stuff like that. So my goal was to have no let up. I didn't want the bend in the board, the part in the middle of the race where you're wishing it was over or you're wishing you would have trained harder. So my goal was to go hard from line to line, which the only exception to that was is I started having stomach issues where I did not want to eat and I started refusing food. And then that's when those two guys stiffened up their backs and the joke stopped and they're like, nope, you're eating this. And, or if you can't eat all of it, choke down what you can. And that really saved my race. So the goal was to go hard from, from line to line. And then I did, of course, want to win. I mean, I'm not going to lie about that. And there was a couple strong kids racing against me, uh, Colin Ng and, uh, and Philip McMahon, who I've actually trained with. So nobody was going to hand me the race. So I wanted to sort of honor the effort that, uh, that Adam and Mike put in to dedicate their weekend to helping me win. So that was, that was pretty much it. How much communication went into this? Michael, you not only finished raw or Ram this summer, you then got married. We're on a honeymoon and you come back and you crew for Andrew. So how was it to completely really switch mindsets so many times to come in and help this guy out and, and achieve the goals that he set? Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, got married. No honeymoon yet. That'll be later this year. But yeah, I mean, we all got, I mean, I talk to, to Andrew all the time and, and Bacon all the time. And, uh, you know, we communicate in, in, you know, just short emails and so on and so forth. And I think for, for Andrew, he 
trusted us that we were going to show up ready. Like, I mean, my van was still pretty, pretty set up from the race across America. So it was ready to go. I mean, we, you know, it, it flashers and everything like that are almost second nature to me. So he had an experienced crew. So we weren't worrying about too much stuff going into it. And then, you know, the guy goes out and does doubles every single weekend. So all this was was changing instead of going from gas station to gas station. He, he, he got to have an all-inclusive vacation, basically. And we had a smorgasbord of, uh, of treats for him, I guess you could say. Whatever he wanted, we had in the van. Now, I kind of want you guys to just kick me out of this. I'd really like to just hear you have a conversation about walking us through what happened from the moment you started and through the middle until you got to the end. Andrew, go ahead and kick it off. Yeah, so since it starts with the parade route, um, right before we started, I sat inside Michael's incredible race vehicle with a fully stocked fridge and everything you could possibly want. Whereas in the past, I probably would have like stood at the starting line being nervous, but I'm like, I'm not getting out of this thing. I'm going to sit here until the last minute. And then during the parade route, I had the pleasure of chatting with Shauna Hogan, which was a really unexpected treat. We've maybe chatted a little online, but to actually ride a bike with her and swap stories, she was telling me about her hallucinations that, that lasted for days. And I was like, oh, yeah, one time I looked down and I thought it was someone else's arm, you know, and we just had a lot of laughs. And I was like a really unexpectedly pleasant way to start the race. And then I told her my race strategy. And of course, all the people I'm racing against are all sitting there listening. And I said, my goal is when we take that left turn onto the course that I don't want to see anybody's back wheel. I am going to hit it and I'm out of there. And if anybody wants to come with me, they can. But my real goal is to get in their race, start going, and then just um, settle into my power that I can do and my race strategies and switching bikes and stuff like that. And then at that point, I crossed uh, in front of Michael and Adam in the van. So I'll let him take his impressions from there. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we were with all the other crew kind of stopping on the side of the road there. And then, of course, in Andrew Fashion, man, it was on like Donkey Kong. He was he was gone from the start, I think. He led it from wire to wire. We never saw any 500 racers or 300 racers uh, close to him from the start. And, you know, for us, it's just, you know, it's just leapfrogging and making sure he was eating and drinking the whole part to Canab. Um I think we had we had one flat tire on the way to Canab, and of course, Hank and I were screwing around with drones, and I was flying the drone back, and I see him waving his hand at the drone. So I'm like, Hank, we got a problem. Grab the other bike out of the van, and we got him switched pretty quick as he rolled up to us. And you know, uh, for Adam and I, it was it was just a a treat to be out there uh, with a with a great racer. I mean, we you know we spent the you know the weekend out there and. And on through, there was a little bit of rain, I think, uh, after Canab. Um, and a great tailwind, for sure, pushing up to Panguitch. And uh, Andrew got up to Panguitch, uh, I guess, uh, the fastest out of any other racers ever got to Panguitch before. And you could talk well, about the headwinds after that. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, just going back a little bit, I remember at one point, I, I sort of knew that things were going well in the race. And I have this habit of just putting my head down. And if, uh, let's just say one of my eyes gets full of stinging sunscreen or something, I won't do anything about it. I'll just ride with one eye. And so, and I never get any information. To it. Like when I won the 12-hour time trial championship, both times I had no idea I had won because I never got any information, not one split. 
So at one point, I finally, I'm watching these guys running these drones around and having a good time, and I said, hey, can I get a race update, you know, or like splits or something? <laughs> and of course, the only time I'll get that is during the next leapfrog, because I don't, they tried to give me a headset to listen to, and I didn't want to hear them. I'd rather listen to music. And so the next time I go by them, Michael's looking at me, and he puts up two fingers and goes, two, as I go by. And I go, and I get like a half mile down the road, and I go, do what? <laughs> I got two miles. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know, maybe two minutes. But it sort of typified the fact that, you know, that we were in communication, but not, but then it kind of didn't matter because I kind of had to do my business. And then, yeah, so I got to Panguitch. Really, I got a big tailwind going into Panguitch, and I was, like, seriously happy about that because I was going, like, I don't know, like 33 miles an hour and putting out, like, pretty modest watts, and I was super stoked about that. And then uh, he tells me to get ready for some headwinds, and that, that was true. There's this app called MyWindSock.com where you can look at how much you had for headwinds, and I, I had 72% headwinds on for if you took the entire race. And um, uh, from Veo to Enterprise, I had a huge mental struggle because it was a block-on headwind, probably less than 10 miles an hour, but it was like a 2% grade, and I, just, I got really frustrated because I felt like I couldn't get the bike to move. And then to me, this is one of the highlights of the race. I, um, I, they, we switched bikes for night rules, and they put my road bike in the back of the truck and put me on my time trial bike for the remainder of the race. But what they forgot to do was turn off my front shooting oh, camera, so they bugged themselves. <laughs> which, after the, which after the race I got to listen to, and I'm going I'm to recreate the dialogue for you here. So, so Michael says... Uh, Ah, uh, he's frustrated. The headwind, he's frustrated. And Adam goes, yeah, yeah, he's, he's frustrated. And then Michael says, but he, he, he's doing really good. He just doesn't know how good he's doing. He shouldn't even be frustrated. And then Adam goes, like, well, I guess that's because we're giving him, like, zero encouragement. And then they both break out laughing, and that's the end of the audio. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, it was like that the whole time, though, because Adam would be – be like, man, he's two minutes ahead of my time. I'm like, yeah, but he's going 10 miles further, dude. He's like, we got to slow him down somehow. There's puppies on the side of the road for sale. If you've got puppies, I guarantee you can get him in the van to stop him. It was like, we are trying to come up with all kinds of like ideas or something to get, uh, to get him in the van to, to just take a break. But, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty impressive. And yeah, even through the night though, he, uh, he kept pushing through those, those dark hours of being on the bike, 14, 15 hours into that headwind into Veo and outside of Veo. So it was impressive. Now, Andrew, you said modest watts. For you, what is that, 600? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm seriously. So my whole thing is, um, I, so I'm 5'10 and 143 pounds. And my whole thing, my whole secret is position discipline. Well, it's not a secret. Position discipline and hiding from the wind. So... My, my power meter actually quit working halfway through, which was a terrible distraction. Actually, my Garmin wouldn't pick up either power meter. But uh, my normalized power when it went out was uh, 239. And then I can climb at 270 watts for a really, really long time. Um, so those are pretty modest numbers. But what I was trying to do is have it so there was no fade and I could do it for 16 hours. And I think at my height and weight, that's a pretty and age, I'm in my 50s, that um, it, was, it was a pretty fun and reasonable goal. And I, I really have to thank Adam for giving me any wattage goals because I do just like to go out and just, like, slash things and tear things apart, and that does not work for 310 miles. 
So again, credit to yeah. them for crunching the data and all that. Yeah, and plus we, we've got some pretty good apps, you know, doing the race across America and other races to know where the winds were going to be in. I kind of wanted him to go a little bit easier into Penguin so the tailwind helped out. That way he could go full gas up and over Cedar Breaks if anyone was even close. That was kind of like a pre-race strategy to, to, to cruise for the, la- the last 20 miles into Penguin, which for him cruising is still, I mean, mock speed. And then and then be able to turn it up because there's a pretty good climb right out of Penguin. It gets pretty steep. And then we knew he'd have kind of a headwind, in and out of a headwind with the way the mountains are. Because in Utah, it seems like the wind is always swirling. It, it, it might say headwinds on the on the maps, but it could be a tailwind crosswind. It could do anything up in the mountains. Uh, so two more, brief, two more brief points. Actually, uh, in retrospect, that actually Michael did tell me to do exactly that. He knows the course better than me and Adam, they know the whole thing. So I actually, I, I joke about them not giving me input and all that stuff, but that was actually super key. I was telling myself into Panguitch, like kind of gather yourself because this next part's going to be decisive where if people are going to start falling apart, it's going to be like in this section. And so I was really able to focus by breaking the race into pieces under, under Michael's plan. And then the second point is I kind of act or I mostly am this person that is self-motivated and I don't need external praise or whatever the heck it is. But during the race, Michael was telling me, like, you are killing it. You look strong. Your pedal stroke is great. And and actually during the race, I was thinking, you know what? Maybe I'm not doing that bad. Maybe he's telling me the truth and it it actually helped. So his, his race strategy was excellent. And then... Just enough of that encouragement where I didn't think he was blowing smoke uh, really helped me race faster. So <laughs> successful hoodoo all around. What are you guys' plans for the rest of the year, and uh, what are you kind of looking at for 2019? Yeah, yeah, for me, I'm just going to keep doing doubles and having fun. I like adventures. I want to go ride in Europe and Africa, the kind of stuff I just usually do. I don't do that many races. But, uh, you know, your race down south and maybe the Oregon race and, you know, I don't know if I want to lose sleep and and go crazy, but I do enjoy the challenge of racing. And then one of my biggest goals is to try and help Adam Bickett get around to lining up for Ram 2020. And so I've spent a huge part of my racing years as sort of a training partner. I, I was a training partner for Adam last time. We've done thousands of miles together. And I would love to be a part of him coming back to Ram. And I know, I know Michael feels the same way. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely, I think we're giving him the peer pressure to get, to, to get the race that he wants in 2020. Um, but for me, I'm just, I'm trying to get back on the bike post Ram. You know, I've been on a bike handful of times and kind of, it's, it's just trying to, I don't want to say fall in love back with the bike, but just trying to get my hands working and, and get everything together. I think I'm going to, trying to do the spotted horse gravel race, Sarah Cooper's race in October. So next month. And then, uh, I still don't have Ramnesia, so I will not be doing Ram next year. solo. that is a, that is a given. Otherwise I'll be getting a divorce. The divorce papers served to me, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> next, next year is kind of up in the air. It'll be something fun. I'm sure. But right now, nothing, nothing planned. Well, Andrew, Michael, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. I look forward to talking to the two of you again. We've got a couple of topics to go over with. And uh, just congratulations on a great Hoodoo 300. Thank you, George. Thanks, George. 
From the Over the Top Studios in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. I'm Ned Fulmer. I'm Ariel. We're from the Try Guys, and we have a new podcast called Baby Steps. It's an irreverent parenting podcast because parenting is not perfect. We just had a newborn, baby Finn. I got pooped on. Ariel has pink eye. <laughs> I don't have pink eye. <laughs> we talk to some experts. We even bring you 4 a.m. thoughts from our garden. Oh my gosh, it's literally 4 a.m. Just a- <laughs> Go back here. I thought I got poop in my eye. Yeah. And that causes pink eye. Parenting is a mess. We're a mess. You're a mess. Join us every Sunday. Listen to Baby Steps on ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends.